Amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. Thank you so much, choir, for using your gifts and abilities to lead us in worship. What a wonderful, wonderful time of worship. Uh, Thank you so much, Zach and Lauren. Beautiful work. Way to represent the Lord well today. It's so good to be a part of a church family that when we talk about womanhood, we have plenty of good models within the church family. I want to say that again. Thank you, ladies, for your desire to follow the Lord and to show godly femininity. We live in a world that doesn't necessarily applaud that or doesn't necessarily affirm that. And so today, as we talk about womanhood, it's a countercultural message because oftentimes the very things that the Bible describes as womanhood, the world seems somehow to uh, disvalue or to discount. And this morning, we want to go back to the scriptures and affirm what God has to say about this. So 1 Peter chapter 3, let's stand together as I read these first six verses. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord." In your her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening, you may be seated. Let's pray again. Father, as we come before you, in some ways, just as Peter wrote to the exiles who were scattered abroad, we more and more feel like exiles in our own nation, in our own city, in our own neighborhoods. We think about godly womanhood and godly manhood. We want to be your people and to do what's right in your eyes and to follow hard after you. Thank you for making yourself known even in creation through manhood and womanhood and gender. And we pray that as we consider this passage of scripture that you'll bless the older women in our church who are striving to live up to godly womanhood. And we pray that you'll help those who are younger, who are striving in that direction. Give them strength and wisdom and assurance from your word. And we pray for our young girls who are moving toward womanhood that they would be taught and understand what godly womanhood looks like. Lord, do that in this body. Do that in our families And we pray that we would be a light for you in the world that you've placed us in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. To say there's confusion over gender in our world today would be an understatement. In all of our elitism, academics, specializations, political correctness, we've become very foolish, far away from God and 
are feeling the full force of that rebellion as we watch this next generation coming up so confused and out of sorts and way off base because of what's happening in the culture around us. Well, how did we get here? What, what in the world has happened to bring us to such a confusing time and such an attack on families and young men and young women? Well, Sharon James in her book, Gender Ideology, and I, I would commend this little small volume to you if you want to better understand some of the things that are happening in gender, whether it's the biblical perspective or some of the cultural reasons that have led us here. I think she does a really good job in this small volume of talking about this. And on page 25, she says, and gender became the magic word by which you could subvert identity. The word sex is definitive, definite, and objective. The question, what sex are you, has two possible answers, man or woman. To shake up this basic certainty about human beings meant taking control of language. The word gender was grabbed and it has come to be used in infinitely malleable ways. Now, in and of itself, the word gender is not bad. It's not an inherently bad word. But what James is saying here is that the culture has taken that word and made it malleable, made it movable, made it transitioning. So we, we talked last week on Graduate Sunday, we should be transitioning from childhood to adulthood, boyhood to manhood, uh, girlhood to womanhood. That's a normal, natural thing, but God did not mean for us to be changing genders. There are two things that are being taught. Sex is uh, a part of our maleness and femaleness. It is man or woman. Uh, it's by nature, we see the outward differences of men and women. But this idea of gender has more to do with roles. So if someone is feeling more of a feminine way, even though they're male, then they change their gender to line up with what they're feeling. That's part of the cultural construct and really the affirmation and the applause, not just the approval, but the applause of the world that we would change what God has done in his creation and rebel to such an extent that we would change even sex. So as parents, our job is to shape gender according to sex, teach roles, teach value of manhood and womanhood, both equal. We're co-heirs. We're, we're in the image of God. We're going to spend an eternity with God. But while we're here on earth, God has called us to be men and women. In the beginning, he made them male and female. That's the way he made it. And it's within our DNA. It's in our chromosomes that he's done it. There's a, another little volume for parents to use uh, called God Made Boys and Girls, Marty Mikowski. If I had a child in the ages of five to eight, I would spend some time reading this book with my children. As a matter of fact, uh, my wife and I purchased, Donna and I purchased books for all of our kids so that they could read them with their kids because we think they're important. There's a series of them, but one in particular, God Made Boys and Girls. And Mikowski said this, boy is in your fingers your toes, your eyes, and your hair. God gives each of us a special code that is found in every tiny little cell in your body. There is a code for the color of your skin, hair, and eyes. And there is a code that says you're a boy and a code that says you're a girl. 
Your sex, and I believe your gender, is determined and set at conception. All that you need for life, once uh, that egg is fertilized, all that you need for life is there. All the chromosomes are set there. Now, you grow into uh, what God intends for you to be. He's knitting you together in your womb, but there's life at conception, and you're growing into that person that he created you to be. And so there's a code in every cell of your body, whether your cells in your fingers, cells in your toes. All these cells have certain chromosomes that from your mom and your dad that determine your sex uh, at conception. And certainly we see it even at birth. And so here's the code. It's not that complicated. For female, it's XX. And for male, it's XY. I mean, that's a pretty simple biological definition without being a biologist. It's a pretty good medical definition without being a doctor. It's a pretty good definition as a parent, right? I mean, uh, a female has two chromosomes, XX. A male has XY. You can't change the code. You may change the body, but you can't change the code. And those who may feel a certain way, if they're not trained and led to live according to their sex, even if they were to change their body, they're going to still feel the emptiness there because every cell in their body is going to be crying out to live according to their sex. And so we live in a fallen, broken world, and sometimes our feelings get all mixed up, and it's up to us as parents, it's up to us as a church family to continue to affirm the truth of God's Word. This isn't a tradition thing, male and female. This isn't just a feeling thing. This is a biblical thing. This is a God-ordained thing. This is a creation thing. And whenever people in the world decide to do their own thing, they're rebelling against their Creator. That's sin. That's what sin is. No matter how strongly you feel about the sin, it will never make it right to rebel against the Creator. You can't change the code. There's no way to go in and change every one of those cells. So Mikowski in his children's book goes on to say, God is the one who chooses your code. Your gender is his gift to you. The Bible tells us that God made the whole world and everything in it. Acknowledge the code that God's given you. Accept it. Appreciate it. Love God and follow his design. That's where the true joy and the meaning is. God very clearly laid out his plan for the woman. We began to see some of that in Genesis, obviously, and it's carried through all of Scripture. We see these themes. We don't have to say that was just Paul's view or that was just Peter's view. We go back to the very beginning in Genesis, and we see Jesus as God himself come in the flesh who affirms these very ideas of gender in Matthew chapter 19. But God very clearly laid out his plan for the woman, and her God-given assignments identify her gender. There is a role to play. There is... Uh, a a role to feel that God has given her. Peter here in chapter 3 gives us some great help. And I would reiterate the fact that Peter's writing to a group that is in a world that is very hostile toward Christianity. It's not like, well, you know, Peter had it easy. I mean, of course they could say that. That was just like it was in his day. But all was anti-God and certainly anti-Christian In that first century, he was writing to a group of exiles, people who had been persecuted and were being 
sent out all over the world because of that persecution. And the best help for them was to live according to God's design. Whether it came to the government to pray for them and to uh, be subject to them. And you read that in chapter 2, back in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. God meant for the world to be a place of order. And even as Christians, we follow in an orderly fashion. And, And so... Uh, As you come down to verse 3, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 3, likewise. You see, God is a God of order. He made male and female and their roles to be carried out. And we follow God's design to find his best, to find our joy, to find our fulfillment, true fulfillment, not just an emotional, not just even a physical, but a deep soul fulfillment that only God can give. Another small volume that I think helps us is John Piper's What's the Difference? It's a part of the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. But listen to what he said. A biblical vision of manhood and womanhood is a deeply satisfying gift of grace from a loving God who has the best interest of his creatures at heart. Probably all of us have questioned of God at some point in our lives. Some of us have wondered, God, why did you do this? And why did you do that? And ultimately, if we've been around long enough, we've been able to see God's hand and work and look back reflectively and say, God is good no matter what. He's good all the time. He is a good God. And so for us today, we want to encourage our young people who are growing up up in a very confusing culture. God's God's not trying to some kind of sleight of hand with you. God's not trying to hold something good from you. He's he's given you the best good. And as you accept his plan for your life and you follow his plan, you will find the greatest joy and fulfillment that you could find. So there's help in this text for, for all women. Now, the great majority of women will marry. Some are called the singleness. Some have been single all of their lives, and God bless you. Some of you are single now. You were married at one time. God bless you. This text is in the context of marriage, but I think there's help for all of women. And even if someone says, well, I'm not married, this text doesn't apply to me, I would say, well, hopefully you have married friends, and you should understand some of what they experience in life for godly counsel and compassion. Uh, You know, it would be one thing to be single and not have any idea of what it really meant to be a part of a marriage and be able and give some counsel and advice without thinking biblically. Now, what does God say about that? But again, married or single, uh, young or old, there's help for us in this passage, especially for the ladies and, and even men as they raise up this next generation of young ladies from what we're trying to accomplish and the goals that are being set there. So number one, a woman is to follow the leadership of her husband. This first point in particular, it does apply to marriage. Now, I think we'll see in other respects that all these points don't necessarily apply to marriage, but this this particular one does because he's talking to wives. Likewise, in this whole divine design that he's been talking about through the first part of his book, wives, be subject to your own husbands. There's an order in male and female, so be subject. Now, what I would say about this is, Make sure we understand that in the beginning when God made male and female, he made them equal. Both are vessels. Now, next week, uh, verse 7 will be looked at in more detail, manhood. 
but for this week, as we're thinking about w- womanhood, we're, we're both vessels. And because we're both vessels, we're equal. And, and because we're both equal, we're co-heirs. We're both uh, equal in the sight of God. But we've been given different assignments to carry out for God while we're here on earth. And so to be subject, what I would say to you, always give your input as a wife and sometimes give your submission. Now, what I mean by that is if you're always giving, if you always give your input and decisions that you as a couple are making, uh, you're a blessing to that relationship. It would be foolish for a husband not to want his wife to speak into issues because she sees life in a whole different way. When a man gets married, he sees life one way, but when he's married, now he has a whole different way of looking at life because he has his wife's perspective. And so together, they should be making decisions. Um, And if they can't get on the same page, I'm usually saying delay and pray. Don't make a decision yet. Keep talking, keep praying. And then if a final decision has to be made, that's where the submission comes in, that God ultimately has made the husband responsible, so he makes the final call. And the wife would follow, as long as it's not unbiblical, unethical, or immoral. Now, in any of those cases, it's better to obey God rather than man, but God means for there to be order, and sometimes a final decision has to be made. And God is saying, I'm going to hold the husband responsible for the health of this family and for the direction of the family, and so wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, he didn't say here, women be subject to all men. He is talking specifically, wives, be subject to your own husbands. There are differing ways that women relate to different men. And this is a particular way that she's going to relate to her husband. So again, always give your input. And the reason I I said sometimes give your submission is because a wise husband will oftentimes listen to his wife and say, you know, I I didn't think about it like that. I think we ought to do that. In general, we we Christians, we submit to one another. We're not always demanding our way. And there's nothing here in the text that says a husband should demand his way. As a matter of fact, when you read this same thing about roles in Ephesians, for women, it's a voluntary gift that she gives back to her husband. That God says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. It's, it's, she's voluntarily giving that. He doesn't demand it. He's not domineering. He wants this to be a team where best decisions are made. And so sometimes that will mean submitting. And we're not always on the same page. I wish that we were, but we live in an imperfect world. And ladies, you're married to an imperfect husband. I know that's hard for him to believe, (laughs) but you're married to an imperfect husband and he's not always going to be in the right. Sometimes he's going to act domineering. Sometimes he's going to act passive and you, your job is to continue to pray for him and to call him out in those in a godly way. Always give your input. You're, you're valuable to God. You're a helpmate and a helpmate sometimes is seen as inferior, someone who is less. That's not what God means by helpmate. Sometimes we look at helpmate and sometimes it's inferior, uh, it's superior, uh, where someone who's much smarter, and many times that is the case, at least in mine, somebody smarter can speak into it, but it's not inferior, it's not superior, it's someone who is a team member, equal. So someone who comes alongside of us and we're working, we're doing this together. So always give your input and sometimes give your submission. It's going to happen from time to time where you're not on the same page and you have to keep moving forward. Always give respect and pure conduct 
and sometimes give quietness. Now again, let me read that text. Wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Now, obviously, uh, God wants the wife, just like she would any believer, to share the gospel with a lost husband. But there's a point in which you share and there's a point in which you can bombard and uh, really go to an extreme there where it hardens somebody's heart. And there are differing views on whether this text is referring to a lost husband or a saved husband. I would say a saved husband can also be guilty of not obeying the word and not doing all that God means to do. And so there is a point in which a woman has to, has to come to terms with, how am I going to handle that? How am I going to handle this husband who's not a perfect man and who's not living it out like I want him to live it out right here? And always give respect and pure conduct. God's called you to respect your husband whether he deserves it or not. God's called you to pure conduct whether it's uh, deserving in that situation or not. And sometimes give quietness. That is, there is a point in which we can speak in ways that do more damage than good. I've always liked that statement for either husband or wife. Talk to your spouse, talk to your, uh, talk to God more about your spouse than you talk to your spouse about God. Prayer is a lot more effective than, let's say, nagging or arguing or belittling or threatening. You, you see how that none of those tools from the mouth work. And so you can understand why Peter might say in this situation so that if some of them do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. So it's not that we don't share. It's not that we don't give input, ladies. It's not that you don't even share the gospel when those opportunities come along, even with a lost husband. It's not that you can't speak. It's, it's how you speak. And sometimes your most effective speech is your conduct and your behavior. And there is something in that male psyche that just has that fingernails on the chalkboard feel when he's getting criticized by his wife, right? And so oftentimes wives have to be careful, choose the right time, the right place, the right way, and share some of those kinds of things. And and so always give respect and pure conduct and sometimes give quietness. There's a time just to let it ride, right? Unless it's unbiblical, unethical, or immoral, then it's no, I'm not doing that. That's not right before God and I'm going to obey God, not man, whether it comes to government or whether it comes to any other human institution, even marriage. You will be tempted, ladies, to give something more than respect and pure conduct. You will be tempted even to use your words in a way that will tear down rather than build up. Don't give in to that. I think that's more than anything what the caution is here. Many women are tempted uh, to give all the negative words rather than the positive. Now, I don't mean negative in the sense that you never should share something that's a problem or it's bothering you, but I mean in a way that becomes destructive and hurtful and hardens hearts rather than softens hearts. Secondly, a woman is the focus on her relationship with God. In verse 3, do not let your adorning be external. Now, again, what a wonderful thing that a woman would take time to work on her uh, physical beauty. You know, we, we appreciate that. We're, we're glad that our 
ladies take care of themselves and spend time getting ready to go places and to interact with people and even uh, for us at home. But if we're not careful, ladies, if you're not careful, ladies, you can spend all your time working on the outside and very little on the inside. And what's most important in God's eyes is what's on the inside, not what's on the outside. So do not let your adorning be external. No, he's not forbidding braiding hair. It's not forbidding gold jewelry, just like he's not forbidding clothing. Uh, He's just saying, be careful here. Don't let that be your objective here is to draw attention to yourself, your outward self. What you want to do instead of drawing the attraction of a man in these terms uh, is you want to draw the attraction of God. How do you draw near to God so that he draws near to you? Well, it's the inner person. But let your adorning, verse 4, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Who are we more concerned with? Sometimes we, we talk to some of our younger ladies, our teens, because it becomes very tempting to want to dress in a way that will attract a guy's attention. And sometimes that leads to immodest clothing. And so be careful there because what you attract a man by, most likely he'll be attracted by another woman by. So what you want to do is you want to work on the heart. And that doesn't mean you don't take care of yourself. It doesn't mean you try to, that you shouldn't dress nice and try to be prepared to meet people. But what it does mean, more importantly, is to be prepared to meet God. What's, what's important in God's sight? It's the inward person, ladies. Look at, look at what God looks at. He looks at the heart. And people in your life and circumstances in your life will expose what's really in your heart. Because you may want to blame all the other people in your life for this and that, but ultimately we're responsible for the behavior that we have for the words that come out of our mouths. It's the hidden person of the heart. And God oftentimes uses people and circumstances to expose what's in our heart so he can do even more work to make you more beautiful on the inside. And in God's eyes, it's that imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Again, it doesn't mean without words. It just means that uh, she's content and gentle and not argumentative and, and not angry and violent it means that she has a gentle and a quiet spirit that's what's of great worth in God's eyes you may live this total life that you have and not really work on the hidden person of the heart that gentle and quiet spirit focus on your relationship with God look in the mirror of God's word you you look in the mirror before you leave the house right and, and you look at your outward beauty, but how often are you looking in the mirror of God's word? Is it a daily thing where you open up God's word and say, God, show me in my heart what is wrong, what is uh, disobedient. Change my heart. Change me on the inside. Give me an imperishable beauty. Give me a gentle and a quiet spirit. A woman is to focus on her relationship with God, her conduct, and her character before God. Thirdly, a woman is to find the discipleship of older women. Verse 5, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. Of course, he goes on the first part of verse 6, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. Again, a woman is to find 
the discipleship of older woman. Femininity should be breeding femininity. It should be bleeding femininity. It should be spreading femininity. And God means for the older women to pour into the younger women. Part of our cultural problem today is that oftentimes it's some of the younger women who are setting all the trends, who are having the greatest influence on our younger girls rather than the older women who really follow hard after God. So look at the godly women of the past. Now, Sarah is given as an example. I'm I'm glad she's given as an example because Sarah wasn't a perfect woman. And neither was Abraham a perfect man. They both had their issues. And I think there there were times Sarah should have said no to Abraham. And there were times Abraham should have said no to Sarah, for for them to be a good team and to be obedient to God, God means for us at times to put some parameters out there so that we're together walking with God. We need each other, especially when it comes to this this idea of marriage. Now, I think we can get all caught up in verse 6, right? I'm sure you were already thinking, how's he going to handle that? Lord. I remember one time my wife was... Donna was feeling especially spiritual. And she, she called me Lord. And then she burst out laughing in my face. <laughs> no. No, this was just a, t- a term in their, in their day of, of uh, respect and honor. And, and, and it's interesting because there's only one time this is recorded in Scripture that she actually used this word. And it was like it was in passing. And it was a little bit older in their life. And so uh, another time, God did this a number of times. But in one of those times, God came to Abraham and said, the son's coming. You know, the promise. We're, even though you're, you're old and your wife's getting old, we're, we're gonna br- I'm going to bring this to pass. And so Abraham heard that and Sarah was eavesdropping in the back. And she heard that. And remember what she did? She laughed, right? And I mean, I think any of us would have laughed. That was laughable. Uh, but it was doable because God works in the impossible. And God was assuring her again that a son is coming. And so when God confronted her, you laughed. Well, no, I didn't laugh. Well, yes, you did. But her reference then in that one moment said, uh, was more about, well, I know you told Abraham, my Lord. It was a term of endearment, of respect for her husband that God had communicated and he was the leader and he was leading her out in this. And she, it, it wasn't this slave thing. I, I was thinking as I was preparing this passage how I could say this and, and grab some attention because at first I wanted to say, I own my wife. You know, she is mine. And, but the other side of it, she owns me. You know, in marriage, we own each other to a certain degree. First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 11 just, or in, in chapter 7 says it so clearly. We, we're each other's when we get married. But in this sense, this is not any kind of domineering slave and master kind of relationship. This was just even in older life. I mean, Sarah getting up close to 90. She, and knowing her husband had made a number of mistakes knowing they had been through a lot of ups and downs in life, she still had that respect for her husband. And so that's what Ephesians talks about, right? At the end of that, when you see this husband-wife relationship, wives, 
submit to your husbands as the Lord. Verse 22, Ephesians 5, then your husbands, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. And he gives us a lot of good description of what a godly marriage should look like. And then he bottom lines it down in uh, verse 33 and says, nevertheless, see that each one of you uh, respects her husband and see that each husband loves his wife. And so that respect factor is huge, ladies. And you respect by your gentle and quiet spirit. You respect by your words. You respect by your input. You, you have an opportunity after opportunity. Good circumstances, bad circumstances. Uh, of a husband who's being obedient in this moment, a husband who's being disobedient in this moment, a husband who is living up to the standard of Christ in, the, in moments, and a husband when he's not. And you have this wonderful opportunity here to show respect. You, you see, you're, you're following the example of women who've come behind you, older, godly women. We're not looking at the latest trends and the latest reality shows and, and the celebrities and all of that. Think about your view of gender and think about your view of roles and and who are you following? Who are you following? Peter said, think about the godly women of the past. Follow their example, just like Sarah here. Listen to the godly women of the past and the older godly women of today. Now, this does tag into our memory passage. And for all children, grades one to five, if you'll memorize this, Kyle Earwood will take you out for ice cream. So, uh, no, Kyle and I will both do it for a group. A group of kids would take you out to ice cream. So parents work hard with your kids on this. You know the drill. Read responsibly with me. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. Older generation, we commend his works. The work of God is even in the very cells of our bodies, in the chromosomes XX and XY. Fourth and final point today, a woman is the fear of the lack of stewardship of her role. At the end of that verse 6, And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. There are a lot of things that are not easy to face in this world. And I would tell you God's given you a beautiful role to play, ladies. The role of the the church is following Jesus. And the role of the wife in particular to her husband is following him to show the world what following Jesus. Christ looks like. What a beautiful opportunity and role and calling and valuable thing that God has given women, especially that are married. Don't fear following your husband. Leave that in the hands of God. As long as it's not an immoral, unethical, or unbiblical thing, follow your husband and leave it in the hands of God, always giving your input, always praying for him, always coming alongside as an heir, as someone who is equal with him. Don't fear following your husband. And don't don't fear the scorn of a culture or even extended family who might think that that's old school or old-fashioned fear Missing God's best. Fear giving him the glory that he deserves. 
fear not being the person he puts you here on earth to be. Let me come back to John Piper's book again. At the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition. Freeing disposition. To affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. And so even though a woman may not be married, and much of this text uh, is in that category of marriage, women relate to men throughout their lives. There's a father in their lives. Uh, They're brothers in their lives. They're employers in their lives. And all of them are not related to in the same way. And that's one one reason I like Piper's uh, definition here and description of womanhood appropriate for a woman who is working on her inner beauty. So to some some men, she's like a sister. To some men who are older, she treats them like fathers. There are differing relationships that in her heart, she's showing this inner beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. She's seeking after, focusing on her relationship with God. And she's not frightened by the world's view of her. She's more afraid of standing before God and not not giving a good account of what she's done with what she's been given. A woman is to fear the lack of stewardship of her role. The most important person you'll answer to is not yourself. It's not the world. It's not your best friend but it's the God who created you. He provided a way of salvation. Even though we live in a fallen world, God has brought us back to a place of restoration so that men and women can be right with him and be obedient to him and live in this fullness that he gave Adam and Eve in the beginning. If we understand what he's done to provide that way of salvation in sending his son to die for our sins. And on the third day, rising from the dead. Jesus, the blood that he shed, paid the price. And the resurrection is the power that we need to live the life that we couldn't live on our own. God has provided all of that. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. This morning, if you don't know him, I would love to have that opportunity. We'll have pastors who are available at the altar doing this next song, and we'll be available after the service, and I'll be in Guest Central afterward as well. And if you don't know Christ, I would love to talk with you about what that relationship could look like. Pray with me. Father, as we consider these truths from your word, Thank you for not leaving us without direction. Thank you for not leaving us without help. And so today in this difficult time period that we live in with the enemy having as much influence and impact and destruction on the family as we can even remember, we know that you're still present. We know you're still working And we pray that this might be a church filled with men and women who love you with all their hearts and serve you and stand on truth and live the truth. And we want to be light in our community. And so we surrender all to you. And I pray for those who don't know you this morning that they would also surrender to you and become a part of your family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.